Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. Well, in a moment, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you'd like to turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I hope you've had a good day. I pick up that there were some parent-teacher conferences perhaps today, and there might be a number of people who have been here since something like 7.30 or 8 o'clock this morning. Am I in the ballpark with some of you? And so uh, that is a long day. So I'm going to preach an extra long time tonight, all right? I'm going to try to just get right down to business. If I were just to give you a one-word sermon tonight, it would be give. That's my theme tonight, all right? Just want to say uh, thank you for your hospitality. I have really, my wife and I have been enjoying uh, being with various groups. We had a wonderful luncheon today, and, uh, and I had the privilege this morning to preach to the high schoolers, and yesterday to those in college. I saw Brother Roger all rearing to preach to the elementary students this morning pretty early, and, um, and then just chatting with staff here and there, and it's just been a tremendous time. You have such uh, a wonderful ministry with the great blessing of God and so many wonderful people serving here. And I know when you're around that a lot and you get used to being around this kind of caliber and quality of person and ministry, that, you, you know, it, you can take it for granted, but don't do that, all right? And I had, we had fun at Sunday lunch with the missionaries, uh, Pastor Ken and and uh, Judy and uh, the, um, the Utleys were there. Everyone was there, all the missionaries. And I had the most fun just watching Pastor Indine interact with the Utley children. They, were, he, they warmed up to him. It was like they were his grandchildren. It was just so cute and clever. And I got some pictures of that. So uh, I like a pastor who loves children and loves young people. And I've taught my students over the year, ministerial guys, I said, a good pastor is always a good youth pastor. In other words, you don't advance out of loving every age group as a pastor. You just do all the age groups and you keep on doing that no matter how old you may be yourself. Uh, and so it's great to see such wonderful, loving, uh, God-honoring uh, ministry going on. Well, and I thank Matt tonight for that, that presentation. I just, that, going to a place like that to me is just amazing. And being willing and taking those investigative trips and sharing that is uh, tremendous. So praise the Lord for folks like this. Why don't we pause for prayer and we'll look at the text of Scripture here in a moment. Lord, we thank you tonight for what we've heard, for the vision that you've given to the Utleys uh, to go to hard places and do hard things with people who have very, very little, if any, understanding of the message that the Utleys are going to bring. We pray for their, uh, your blessing upon them as they head out into intense deputation. We pray for good health and safety uh, for each one, and we pray that you would give to them an enjoyable time as they I share their heart. We pray that along with them that the other missionaries would 
be able to raise the needed support or the increase of support, whatever the need may be, and that you would pour out your blessings upon them in every way. Thank you for these families. Thank you for this ministry that has such a heart for missions and for ministry at every level and with every age group. Bless this tremendous church as they reach right here into their own Jerusalem week after week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of 2 Corinthians is really, I have to say, a favorite book of mine. 2 Corinthians is a very, very God-centered book. I'll not take the time to go into those details tonight, but the theme, it seems to me, of this book of 2 Corinthians is, is God's strength in our weakness. You see that in many ways in 2 Corinthians. You see it in Paul's dealing with his own personal trial when the Lord says to him, my grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So the theme of God's strength in our weakness is actually seen in these two tremendous passages, two tremendous chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which are actually focused upon people in poverty giving to other people in poverty. And Paul is encouraging them to experience God's grace as they finish up an offering that they've been collecting for about a year in order to give a substantial, generous gift to the Jerusalem saints. Now, the greatest example, of course, of giving from voluntary poverty is the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be made rich. Biblical giving begins with the exemplary giving of his life through his death on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it actually concludes with a doxology of praise to the same Savior in chapter 9 in verse 15, where Paul exclaims at the end of this rather lengthy argument he set forth, he says, thanks, the word is actually grace, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And so biblical giving is exemplified uh, first and foremost by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's try to get a clear, uh, brief contact, a, a grasp of, of what these two chapters are teaching. Paul is concerned for the poor, poverty-stricken, suffering Jewish believers back in Jerusalem. We see his concern expressed in uh, Romans chapter 15, verses 25 to 27. We see it expressed in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 3. So for some time, Paul had been urging the believers in Macedonia, that's northern Greece, and the believers in Achaia, that's southern Greece, including the area of Corinth, to collect this substantial gift and actually bring it to conclusion. 
Now, Paul was, I don't want to exactly use the word clever in the wrong sense of the word, but I think if I'm reading it right, that he's been telling the Macedonians what great givers the Achaeans are, and he's been doing the same uh, in the reverse form, telling the folks in, Mas- in, in Achaia what fine givers the Macedonians are. And we see some of that right here in our context. I wouldn't say it was competitive giving, but I, w- I think he's trying to draw out the best in them that they would now complete what they had started to do about a year earlier. And let me just on the side say to you my feelings about northern Greece and southern Greece. Being from Alabama, I prefer southern Greece to northern Greece. Southern Greece is greasier than northern Greece, okay? Let's just put that to rest now and uh, we'll be good. Now, the giving that was being done here is missions giving. The gospel had originated in Jerusalem. And Christian Jewish evangelists had exhausted themselves in getting the gospel around the northern rim of the Mediterranean, and it made its way all the way to cities like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea in Macedonia, and the city in Corinth, which the evangelism and gospel effort took place in a major way there in Acts chapter 18. So it was very vital for the forward progress of the gospel and the unity of Jewish and Gentile believers to show love one toward another. The Jewish believers back in Palestine were suffering. They had likely lost their source of income. They were persecuted for their faith. You remember Acts 8, 4. They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the gospel. There was pressure because people had come to Christ, received Jesus of Nazareth as the true Christ of God and the Savior of mankind. That did not go well with most people who were of uh, Jewish religious orientation. Let us never forget that in some cultures, in many cultures, and the cultures noted here tonight, that when people receive Christ as Savior, they are inviting a great deal of trouble into their lives. And for some, they are actually signing their own death warrant. At least they are being alienated from their families. They're risking their source of income and livelihood for their family. And so while we enjoy religious freedom in our nation, so many people around the world, when they come to Christ, they understand what it means for them personally. Missions giving is often cross-cultural meeting of needs in distant places so that evangelism and discipleship and church planning may take place among people that we may never meet personally. So Paul is saying to the Corinthian believers, now is the time to complete the offering. And he's motivating them and addressing them to give generously by God's grace 
for God's glory. That's the title of this message tonight. Generous grace-giving for God's glory. Generous grace-giving for God's glory. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which reapeth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Quoting Psalm 112. Verse 10, now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. And the language to me gets a little thick here. Perhaps you have a little clear translation. For the administration of this ser service not only supplieth the want, of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God, whilst by the experiment of this, administra of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. That's, that's Paul anticipating the blessing that's going to come to the Jewish believers. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Let me simplify what could be a complex, complex uh, passage tonight. I'm going to talk about basically five key words. Number one is God. Biblical giving is God-centered. God. Number two is gospel. Biblical giving is gospel purposed. God, gospel, grace. Biblical giving is grace empowered. And then I'm going to combine the last two and say that biblical giving is generous for God's glory. So God, gospel, grace, generosity, and glory. Let's begin with God. What really matters about our giving is that we view our giving as sourced in God, centered in God, and for God's glory. David put it this way when he was in the process of gathering materials for the building of the temple in 1 Chronicles 29 in verse 14. He said this, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given unto thee. David put it this way in Psalm 24 in verse 1. The earth is the Lord's 
and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. Let us never forget that all we are and have comes from God and often comes through others. There'll be a day when we will leave it all behind. My wife, Judy's grandfather, Grandpa Eggety, and you've heard it said yourself, you never see a U-Haul following a hearse. You leave it all behind. But there's a little caveat to that. Or you can send it on ahead. You can lay up treasures in heaven by giving in a way that pleases God. You know, giving is really a personal thing. On the whole, it's a, it's a private thing. We don't give to be seen by others. We don't give to impress. Really, uh, there should be no aspect of our Christian life that's paraded so that we are wanting other people to think highly of us. In verse 6 and 7, it, it really is talking about the individual responsibility. There's a, there's a corporate responsibility collectively, sure. As individuals, before God, purpose in their heart, what they're going to give. And so our giving ought to be done in a way that pleases God and our conscience is clear and our conscience is actually joyful that we believe whatever it is that we're giving is, is being given in a way that pleases God and honors God and is focused upon God. And when we give it away, we don't begrudge it, but we are just so thankful that we can give it and give it directly to God for the spread of the gospel. It is the very nature of God to bless. You see this all through the scripture. You might ask the question, why are we so blessed? And a carnal person might say, well, because we're so blessable. That's not the case. It's not because we earn it, deserve it, or because we're better than anyone else, but because a loving and sovereign God has chosen by his grace to pour out his undeserved blessings upon us. That is, we are not deserving of those blessings. So biblical giving is God-centered. Biblical giving, secondly, is gospel-purposed. Now the book of 2 Corinthians has a lot of gospel in it. You have the passage, for example, in, in 2 Corinthians 2, where Paul says, thanks be unto God, which causeth us always to triumph in Christ Jesus and make it manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Paul was amazed at the privilege of having God's sufficient grace and power to proclaim the gospel. He says that we're not sufficient in and of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who has made us able ministers of the new covenant. Second Corinthians 
3, 5, and 6. In chapter 4, he says, But if our gospel be hidden, it is hid to those that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. And this great God takes the gospel And like he spoke light into a dark world at creation, he speaks the light of the gospel into Satan-blinded, sin-blinded hearts. And he says, in essence, to unsaved people, to their souls, let there be light. And the light of the gospel dawns upon sinners to their salvation. This is a gospel-centered book. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, he'll say, For the love of Christ constraineth us, compels us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died, that they which live for him should not live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this God has given to these new creatures the ministry of reconciliation, he says. That is that God in Christ is reconciling the world unto themselves. That's why he would say, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, be ye reconciled to God. For God has made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Are you following my drift tonight? 2 Corinthians is a gospel-empowered, gospel-centered book. That's why he would say in 2 Corinthians 6 in the early verses, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, he might, you can apply it to mean that a person needs to get saved Today, you can make a gospel appeal based on today being a day of salvation. By the way, you'll never get saved tomorrow. If you put it off to tomorrow, tomorrow will actually never come. You can actually only get saved in the present. If you're a sinner here tonight and you've never accepted Christ as Savior, tonight is the night you should receive Christ as Savior. But I believe he's talking about something that's a little broader in the, in, the, in the meaning here is he's saying, this is a day, this is an era, this is a season of time before the wrath of God finally falls. And so today is a day of salvation. Be reconciled to God. It's a day of golden opportunity. And certainly that is very meaningful for the ministry of international missions. So biblical giving is preoccupied with how we can most effectively get the gospel to people who do not yet know Christ. How can we bring people to Christ and Christ-likeness? How can we evangelize and disciple people, see them follow the Lord in believer's baptism, and become a participant in a biblical church ministry, and then corporately and appropriately worship our wonderful, saving God together? This has to be the preoccupation of biblical giving. Biblical giving is gospel-purposed. And then thirdly, biblical 
giving is to be grace empowered. Grace empowered. You see this in, again in, in these verses, verses 6 and 7. And certainly greatly underscored by verse 8. The problem in giving is that, if I can call it a problem, the challenge is that it's not, it's not our human nature to give away what we have or what we've earned or even what we perceive we need. And so there is a tendency in us to be, to be stingy, uh, to withhold, to be overly preoccupied with weighing the financial consequences of, of generous giving and the impact on our life and budget. Proverbs 11 and verse 25 addresses this a little bit. Actually, verse 24, there is that scattereth, yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tends to poverty. The liberal soul, the generous person, shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse, but blessing shall be upon him that selleth it. Do you follow the passage, what it's saying? It's this tension about do we keep it or do we give it? In verse 6, Paul is really just setting forth that if you sow sparingly, just in agriculture, if you you just cast out a little bit of seed, then you're just going to get a little bit of harvest. To be honest with you, I'm a little bit preoccupied right now, not with sowing seed that creates vegetables, but just so I have some good fescue in my backyard when I get home from this trip. So tomorrow morning, there's some people coming to to aerate and plant seed, and I've had ongoing problems with getting grass to grow and getting it to grow for, you know, substantially for a long period of time, and that would be another story and way too long of an illustration. I would embarrass myself telling you about my great uh, skills at not getting grass growing in my yard. Front yard's fine, backyard's terrible, okay? I feel like a hypocrite. Back, front yard looks fine, backyard looks terrible. They're coming in the morning. And I'm saying to them, put down an extra bag of grass seed. I would like to have grass. I told a girl today at the office back home, I said, I'd like to have grass in every square inch of my backyard. I'm a little hyper about this right now. So I, there's one time a year in Greenville that you can sow grass, this type of grass seed. It's right now. There's a narrow window. You've got to get it in the ground. You've got to get it watered. You've got to keep it watered. And you've got a little fertilizer there. And I'm just hoping things turn out really well. So don't spare, don't spare the seed. I'll pay you extra. Baby my backyard. Okay. But he that soweth generously or liberally shall reap also bountifully. So Paul's getting to the heart of the matter. And he says, every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. And he does not want people to feel pressured 
or manipulated or conned into giving. None of that is biblical giving. Grudging giving does not please the Lord. Giving of necessity does not please the Lord. But God loves an open-hearted, open-handed, cheerful giver. So how do you get there? I mean, how do you get beyond our tendency in our human flesh? We need grace. And God supplies that grace, verse 8. God, this is a great verse. It applies to many things, I think. But it's obviously a giving verse. And God is able, watch how many times all or every occurs in this verse. God is able to make all grace, that's divine enablement. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. So God's grace or enablement gives us enjoyment, and then it's not only that, but God's grace resupplies us after we give. So let me just click off a few points here. God's grace overcomes poverty and seeming inability. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. God's grace finishes and completes the intended giving. That's most of chapter 8. God's grace sets an example for others. Macedonia and Achaia, the first five verses of chapter 9. God's grace is personal and individual, verses 6 and 7. Each one of us has the privilege of sowing personally and reaping in giving. Each person has the privilege to purpose in his or her heart to give from the heart. 1 Corinthians 16 expands a little on how we are to give. We are to give systematically, regularly, proportionately, generously. And then grace, grace is inexhaustible. It is multiplicative. Is that a word? Multiplicative. It multiplies, extending to every arena of life and ministry. It is all grace. We give of our time. We give of our talent. We give of our treasure. We give of our children. We give our lives investing in others. Now, love what John Henry Jowett says. I've said this somewhere in my preaching this week, elsewhere, maybe to the men's Sunday school class. John Henry Jowett puts it this way. He says, there is no bottom to the sea of grace. Boy, I like that. So God has a way of resupplying. Biblical giving is grace empowered. And then finally tonight, biblical giving is generous for God's glory. Verse 11 speaks of generosity producing thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, 9, 12, generosity meets critical needs, multiplying thanksgivings to God from the recipients of the gifts, these Jerusalem believers. 
Generosity glorifies God. Verse 13, through the recognition of God's grace in and through the lives of givers. I'll explain this in a moment. Generosity enhances the love of believers one for another by their longing and praying for one another. People who had, most of them had never seen one another. And then all of these truths remind us of God's great gift in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever had the opportunity to receive a generous gift unexpectedly? that overwhelmed you. When my wife and I were, had our little family of four, and we've been living in university housing for 13 years, I kind of I realized that life's going to get away from me, and that if we keep doing this, it's kind of easy to do. Um, if you had a problem in university housing, you dialed 4,000 and somebody came running and fixed whatever you needed. But you, hadn't, you didn't have anything to show for it. You weren't investing in your own place. And one day you might not have anywhere to live. And so, uh, and so we thought, well, we better buy a house. So a friend of mine crossed the fence on a Sunday afternoon and said, hey, there's a house over here for sale a few streets away on Lander Street. And he, he said, actually, it's off the market. He said, it's been off the market for two years. It's a royal fixer-upper. And I found out later it was a high crime district because they had had up to four families living in this same house at one time. And the police were often coming. It really wasn't a high crime district, but that house was a high crime target, okay? At least in the frequency of police visits. And so we bought that home, built, I think, in ni early 1950s. It's a well-built house, uh, but it, it needed a lot, of, a lot of care. There were two layers of carpet in one particular room. It had a walkout basement, and there were watermarks where the basement had flooded. I won't take time to describe, but this was a royal fixer-upper house. So we closed in that house on a February 14th, I think about 31 years ago. And man, we, we, were, man, we were excited. And we had some uh, dear friends who were in town. Uh, this was Dwight and Deborah Anderson, and they were going to take us to a Japanese steakhouse, which was a super rare occasion for us. And uh, so I said, before we go to the steakhouse, why don't we go by the house and we want to show you the new house that we bought. Now, my friend Dwight was a uh, was a pretty well-to-do businessman, I think. And um, we've been lifetime friends. Dwight Anderson was, was young Sheffy in the film Sheffy. Some of you know the old, the old campground film BJ put together. So he was young Sheffy. We came off to college together. We roomed together. We prayer group together. We were on the same hall together. He got married to Deborah and moved off, left me back in the dorms my senior year. And here's Deborah and Dwight, and we're at the house, and we're showing them around. And they're used to nice things. So we got downstairs in that ratty basement area, and I said, you know, Dwight, I said, I've always wanted to have a place where you can come and stay with us. I was just, I was just giving him a good hard time. They were happy for us. And on that afternoon... 
Dwight opened up his wallet and pulled out 10 $100 bills as a gift to us to help us get started on a project that actually I had no idea what I was getting into. My good friend Jim Berg would mock me and say, you don't even know which end of a screwdriver to hold. <laughs> and you know, my friend Dwight did that on another occasion as well. Now, when somebody does that for you, if you've had an experience like that, what, for me, I, we could not have saved $1,000 in a whole year if we had worked real hard at it back in those days. So a thousand extra dollars at a moment like that was incredible, a great blessing from the Lord, which caused our hearts to leap in praise to the Lord. And it caused that friendship to be extra special at that point that he would, he would be so generous. They would be so generous to us. Are you with me? Let's think about it in 2 Corinthians and I'll be done. Here are these poor Jerusalem persecuted believers. They know the gospel has gone up to other places. They've sent some missionaries out. They may have sacrificed to get all that started. They might have heard some good reports, but they weren't so sure because Corinth was kind of like Las Vegas. You know, how is the church plant going in Las Vegas? Well, they have some trouble. Okay. But can't you see those Jerusalem believers when they received this lavish, substantial gift from largely Gentile believers in Corinth, in Macedonia, in Achaia, in Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea, Corinth, and they, they go, whoa, these people must be genuinely converted. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and that caused them to give great praise to God. This is what your missions conference is in part about. Sending people, supporting people, giving generously, likely occasionally, uh, bigger projects so that people you'll never meet know there are genuine believers in Chandler, Arizona that love Christ and give generously and that results in the salvation of people far and wide. Are you with me? So biblical giving, missions giving is God-centered. It is empowered by the very grace of God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is to be done generously in such a way that thanksgiving and praise goes to God. So when you are pondering your own personal choices in giving, keep this in mind. It all comes from God. The glory all goes back to God. And when you give and give generously, God has a way of resupplying your ability to live and give. And all of that is for his glory. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you tonight for this very special
portion of your word. And for the joy that this church, believers have to enter into missions giving in a very generous way. And we pray that this would indeed honor you, meet your kind expectations of us, and that the gospel would spread, that more and more people may praise and thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.